So I'm going to read through the passage first this morning, um, and then we're going to take uh, a look at these few verses to wrap up this chapter this morning. So let's pick it up in verse 22 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I entitled this morning, Struck Down But Not Destroyed. Why did you do that? Well, let's read and find out. Verse 22, are they Hebrews? Again, who wrote this letter to the Corinthians? It was the Apostle Paul. Well, he says, so am I. Did you guys know that he was a Hebrew? Are they Israelites? So am I, he says. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they, minister, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, he says. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and that's not with marijuana. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been beaten in the deep. And then in verse 26, he says it's in journeys often. Also the perils of waters and the perils of robbers and the perils of his countrymen, the perils of the Gentiles. And that was his ministry, right? You were to go to the Gentile world and bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to them. Why? Because God is the Savior of all, not just the Jewish people. Yeah, he came to his own, but his heart is that the gospel would be for all. God's grace has appeared to all men, we're told. So he says here, he had the perils of the Gentiles. They didn't like him as Jews. Aren't you guys glad that's not going on today? That the Gentile world just love the Jewish people today? Man, things have not changed, have they? So in perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, he tells us, also in the sea, and perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches." Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor of Artadus, the king, and guarded the city of uh, Damascus, with a garrison desiring to arrest me. And then verse 33 says, But I was let down in a basket, through a window, in a wall, escaped from his hands. So Heavenly Father, is once again, we have this great privilege to just dig into your word here. We pray that our hearts would be pierced in a good way. God, that we would hear what your spirit would have for the church this morning. I know we all go through different seasons, and many of them are going to be uh, hard ones, much suffering. You even gave us a great promise that through many tribulations, we must go through to enter the kingdom. God, but we are so grateful for what your word declares around all of that, that you are with us, that there is grace to be had, divine power given. And pray this morning that our hearts would grasp this, that you give us understanding, that you'd build us up for your glory. I'm asking your name, Jesus. Amen. 
So what were the Lord's first words to the Apostle Paul after his conversion? Well, I'm so glad you guys asked. You can jot down Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him. Isn't this pretty cool? Think about this for a second. The Lord's going to appear to Paul. And he's going to do some great things for the kingdom of God. This is pretty cool. And then he says, for I will show him the great things that he's going to do in my name. Is that what the scriptures say? No. Well, I will show him the success he's going to have as a missionary. Is that what it says? No. How about I'm going to have many people that I'm going to use Paul's ministry. Many people will be led to me through this man. Is that what it says? No. How about I'm going to make him very famous and popular? I'm going to show him that. No. What does it say, guys? I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. What? I don't like that in the Bible. That's not what I want to hear. I want to hear how great my life's going to be, how successful I'm going to be. This morning I've broken down this passage of Scripture into six different categories for you and I that Paul speaks to. Okay, There are actually 23 things in this list that he points out for you and I. Now Paul now finishes this argument to the Corinth church against these super apostles that we've considered the last couple of weeks by sharing one more of his credentials, Okay, the wounds in his body. You guys can jot down with me Galatians chapter 6, verse 17. Paul wrote there, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Think about that. Marks. What marks do we have to show in our body? Like, hey, because I love Jesus, part of my calling, part of my tribulation. This is what I've gone through. Okay, I've been spit on. I've even been hit but I got no scars this guy man <laughs> we had this short list and do you guys think there's probably a few more things that happened to him absolutely you see Paul uses here suffering as a best proof for asserting his apostleship better a heart with sincere and sacrificial service to the Lord than someone with just a bunch of impressive you know credentials would you guys agree hey this man walks with the lord i don't care that he went to a seminary and he got a piece of paper has he experienced life following and walking with jesus that's what matters so when selecting a spiritual leader look for scars guys so we're going to look at his heritage he tells us in verse 22 let's take a look he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. So there's this threefold description of a full-blooded Jew here. He says Hebrew, and this is only used two other times in all of the New Testament in this linguistic distinction, okay? It's, it's not only to speak Greek, but he was a Semitic Jew or speaker also, okay? He spoke Hebrew. Do you guys know Hebrew is being spoken today in the world? 
The language has been revived, just like God said would happen in the last days. That's pretty cool. So we also are told that he's an Israelite. So that would be his nationality, right? And he also tells us that he's of the seed of Abraham. You guys know for the Jewish people, Father Abraham's a pretty big deal. Okay, the 12 tribes of Israel there are given. Do you guys know which one Paul was a part of? Well, you can jot down Philippians 3.5. He actually told us there that he's part of the tribe of Benjamin. Pretty cool. So he didn't have a claim uh, to superiority in any of these three or these people that he was speaking against. Okay, They didn't have anything on him when it came to these three categories. Now let's take a look at verse 23 to 25. He talks about his sufferings for us. In verse 23, it says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. So we sure learn how much we don't know about Paul when we read this. Okay, we, He wrote this letter when he was in Ephesus. And catch this, guys. Okay, This is only uh, as far as chapter 19 in the book of Acts. And you guys know that all the way from chapter 13 of Acts to the end, 28, was the life of Paul. So this was early on in his life. So this list... This is the early part of ministry for the Apostle Paul. It's kind of crazy to think about. What else do you end up going through? Thus, this only skims the surface of what he actually did, what he actually endured as a minister of Jesus Christ. So scar by scar, Paul shows the Corinthians his battle wounds here. I kind of picture him you know, pulling up his eunuch, pulling his shirt back. Hey, like, look at all these scars. <laughs> I've gone through it. For the gospel, to make Jesus known to others. Okay, they tried to kill me multiple times, right? So just as you have a story for every scar on your body, Paul has a lot. Did you guys catch in for chapter or sorry, verse 24? It tells us five times, right? 40 stripes minus one. Okay, 195 lashes, a Jewish punishment. Okay. Um, Deuteronomy 25.3, 40 blows he may give him and no more. So they find that from the Old Testament. And a lot of this is laid out, the details of how this worked in the Mishnah, which is a Jewish book of their different traditional laws um, and how they were codified. Um, and then verse 25, if you look, it says beaten with rods. And this would be the Roman punishment then. And it tells us a little bit of background on that. Uh, I read that the attendees of the magistrates were called lectors, and they were equipped with birch wood with which the guilty criminals uh, were uh, chastised. Okay? And do you guys know that caning is still a popular thing in parts of the world today for punishment? They still do that. Um, so he definitely went through suffering, didn't he, guys? And then he also talks about his travels, okay? In journeys often, in perils of water, verse 26, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, 
in perils in the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. So again and again, Paul talks about the dangers of traveling, okay? Now, is traveling dangerous for you and I? Absolutely. How many of you guys jump on that jumbo plane and you're like, man, I don't got enough room for my legs. I'm crunched. This stinks, right? I might possibly get some, you know, restless leg syndrome going on. And it's not going to be homemade food. They're just going to throw it in a microwave and bring me up like, come on, the food's not even that good. Man, and once in a while we get the turbulence, right? A little bumpy on this ride. We got it pretty easy, don't we, guys? But there are parts in the world today, guys, that if you travel, you got to be careful. I've been to a few countries on missions where we had to hire someone with a gun to travel with us because stuff goes down. It is dangerous to go from point A to point B, and you better be armed. You bet, you know, otherwise, something will happen. So ancient people did not relish the sea at all. Okay? Uh, Seneca, a contemporary of Paul, he said this, You can persuade me in almost anything now, for I was recently persuaded to travel by sea. Okay, So often on roads, travelers would be caught and they would be held for ransom. That was a normal thing. As one said, and I love this, Paul's path was uphill with sharp stones paved with wild beasts. His way was the way of the cross. Jesus walked it before him, and many saints have marched it since. It's part of life, guys, especially when we're walking with Jesus. It's not going to be easy. If you choose to live godly, you shall suffer persecution. That is a promise in the scriptures. We don't like hearing it, but it is the word of God. And we see it played out firsthand in our brother Paul's life. Now, he talks about many struggles. Okay, look at verse 27 and 28. In weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastens often, in cold and in nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So Paul went uh, anywhere. He endured anything that might uh, take the gospel you know, to lost souls. He was willing to go and to do it all. So why is it that we have the tools to make things easier and even faster today, yet less things are getting done? You guys ever wonder about that? She's like, all right, I thought this technology was supposed to help us. I thought here, since we have so many different Bible study tools online for free and all these translations at the tips of our fingertips, everybody would be studying the Word of God more. People would be having easy access to seek God, to know the truth of the gospel. Why isn't that happening? What's going on? Why aren't more missions taking place? What's going on? Um, The NIV puts it this way. Besides everything else, I face daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. So this is what was in the heart of the Apostle Paul whether it be helping new Christians who just got saved, discipleship, counseling problem issues, or warding off the devil's attacks, 
you know, the demanding tasks in ministry. Um, he cared about it all. So Paul bore these sorrows, okay, and the trouble of the people, okay, the things that they faced and they were going through, that was in his heart. He was very concerned for the church, okay? Um, and that's something that's very real. I have a hard time sleeping sometimes, and I can say most of the time it's because of a burden for the church. That's what keeps me up. That's why I can't sleep. Why? Because I think it's part of the burden of our Heavenly Father. Do you guys know that he loves his church? He loves his sons and his daughters. And we should care, okay? Not to worry that we lose sleep over it, but it should be a very real concern that, hey, you know what? They're on my heart. And I need to pray right now. This is what's needed. I need to reach out. I need to do something. And to have that be a joy, that's something you have to fight for. But again, the key is looking to Jesus because as we keep following him and looking to him, we're going to have that type of heart. But if we're looking at ourselves and woe is me, that's hard to do, isn't it? So is it how you know, we view the church? How do you view the Lord's church, guys? Do you have deep concern? Do you ask, what can I get from the church or what can I give? I think this is what it really boils down to, isn't it? Because we do live in a very consumer-based thing. We do a lot of church shopping. What can I get out of the church? Rather, our heart should be one of what can I give? I've been created for the glory of God. God has called me to serve, to be a servant. Oh, but that's for somebody else because I'm here to receive and have them serve me. And that's what we have made the church to be today. And that's what we're getting is a bunch of lukewarm churches and very comfortable churches because it's all about me. As long as they are there to meet my needs and they have good coffee, I'm set to go. I'm not against good coffee, by the way. I love good coffee. Um, but you guys get what I'm saying, right? And if our heart is in a place where we don't want to serve, there's, we're, we're missing something. And we really need to seek the Lord and ask the Lord, what's going on in my heart? Why is it all about me? Why am I concerned about me? And that's it. Why am I not concerned about you serving you and serving your kids, your church? Because that is your heart. And that should be a concern for all of us, guys. And let me tell you what, I think that's a part of something, you know, everybody would want to be a part of. Say somebody is church shopping and they walk into a church that's genuinely loving and serving each other. Do you think they'd be like, hmm, this is cool. This is different. Nobody does this. Everybody's all self-centered, self-seeking. It's about what the, here they are, people laying down their lives for one another, really loving each other, doing life together. That's different. And didn't Jesus say the world will know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, deep concern. We need to be praying for the church, guys. All right, my weakness. Let's take a look at that. Yeah, I know Acts is up here on the slides, guys. I'm sorry. I just copied and pasted and changed the verses. I didn't notice. But we're in 2 Corinthians. All right, let's look at my weakness here. That's one of them. Uh, verse 29, who is weak? He says, hey, I, <laughs> I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. If, 
Verse 30, I boast. I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, for I am not lying. Now, I want to read to you guys verse 28 and 29 again, but through the New Living Translation, because I think it helps the helps us to interpret well what Paul is trying to say here. He says, Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray? And I do not burn with anger. So in verse 30, these false apostles boast in their strengths. Look how great we are. When we looked at that last week, our ministries... All this stuff, our apostles, they're not really apostles, okay? Paul laid that out pretty clear. So Paul instead speaks to his weakness. He's not doing what they were doing. So Paul here is leading up to his thorn in the flesh. That's going to be our next chapter next week. Don't miss it. It's going to be good. Um, And then I thought it funny how he concluded this whole idea of suffering. He talks about a basket. Okay, check this out. In Damascus, the governor, our artist, the king, and guard of the city of Damascenes with a garrison desired to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. It's interesting that he chooses this basket incident um, to end with because it's kind of semi-anticlimactic, isn't it? It's like, Paul, you just went through all these crazy things. And you're going to talk about getting out and fleeing at night by a basket? <laughs> What's up, dude? Um, you guys can jot down Acts 9.25. It says, Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. So the wall in Damascus, it was wide. It was big enough to actually drive a chariot along the top of the entire thing. So this thing was a massive wall many houses overhung the wall and was probably let down from one of them so a very inglorious escape to keep him humble so how humiliating that this great rabbi to have been lowered in you know from a basket that was normally used for hay or straw or wool or whatever they used so there was no limo there was no vip treatment for the great apostle paul to get out of town right Um, Also, this was probably worse than any scourging for Paul. I think Paul liked facing his enemies. Do you guys know that he was left for dead? He was stoned. They thought he was dead. Do you guys know what he did when he came back to? He went right back to preach the gospel to the same people that just tried to kill him. That was the heart of the Apostle Paul. I don't care they're my enemies. Jesus died for them. He bled on that cross that they could be forgiven of their sins. They need to get this. The gospel burned in his heart, guys. I also want us to note that Paul never denied the pain and the pressure of life. Sometimes it's easy for us as Christians to hide stuff. Oh, everything's great. I'm super good all the time. So he never suggested that following Christ was problem-free. The Apostle Paul never tries to analyze or moralize why he had to suffer them. You guys catch that? Sometimes we wonder, oh, I know God's going to work it out for good, and I'm trying to figure out why I'm going through all of this right now or why they're having to go through all of this right now. 
There's got to be a purpose there. Paul never did that. I don't see him doing that in Scripture at all. I also want you guys to note that Paul doesn't share this from a victim mentality, but instead he lets us hear about his solidly placed anchors that he's dropped along the way on this voyage he's on with Christ. If you're going to analyze anything, I think that's simply what it should be. We're all going to go through stuff. What are we going to choose to do with it as we go through it? Are we going to grow in Christ? Are we going to allow our roots to go deep in those hard times? Are we going to lean into him? Or are we just going to try to get through in our own strength, in the flesh? Great opportunities, guys, to grow in Christ through the hard stuff in life. So today, do you know that more people were tortured in the 20th century for their faith in Christ than the previous 19 centuries combined? Let me say that again. The last century, there have been more who have died for the name of Jesus Christ than all the previous centuries, 1,900 years previously put together. Well, I didn't know that was going on today. Are people really dying for their faith in Christ today? And we complain about our freedoms, guys. We're the freest people in the world. Do you guys know that much of the world, what we're doing right now, we could get in big trouble for doing this this morning? Praising God, opening, having a Bible, just getting caught with one, or talking about Jesus? Did you guys know that there's about 100 million people that were martyred for their faith in the 20th century? More people died in circumstances related to their faith in the past century than all the 20 centuries combined. And did you guys know that reported incidences of persecution have actually increased since the fall of communism? It's getting worse. Today, there's an estimated 200 million Christians who are facing persecution around the world. Today. I don't really care the Super Bowls today. That's what matters, Pastor. Don't you know all the Mahomies know that it's going to be a pretty good game? That was a joke. Purdy? Get it? <laughs> but isn't it easy for us just to get so caught up in the things of life that we don't even think about the reality of what's going on with so many of our brothers and sisters around the world? This goes on every day for them. In at least 60 countries, they are denied fundamental human rights solely because of their faith. I want you guys to turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy with me, chapter 1. And as you do that, I'm going to have David share a short video. And there's a bunch of videos like this online. But if you want to learn about the persecuted church, you know, just go check out. Hear what's going on. So David, if you could play that at this time, please. What if your church had to meet in secret? What if spies watched your every move? What if following Jesus meant you faced violence or even death? Millions of Christians around the world experience these kinds of challenges every day. And these are the top 10 countries where faith costs the most. Number 10, India. Hindu extremists want to rid India of Christians. 
and they are prepared to use extreme violence to achieve their goal. At number nine, Nigeria, where more Christians are murdered for their faith than in any other country in the world. Iran is at number eight. Secret house churches risk being raided by the police. If caught, be prepared for a long prison sentence. Number seven, Yemen, a war-torn country where Christians, if discovered, face the death penalty. Eritrea is at number six. If your faith is discovered, you can be imprisoned without trial in appalling conditions. Often, your loved ones don't even know if you're still alive. Number five, Pakistan. Say the wrong thing in Pakistan and the notorious blasphemy laws could see you accused of insulting Islam and sentenced to death. At number four is Libya, a lawless land with no freedom of speech or belief. Somalia is number three on the list. Somali Christians can't reveal their faith to anyone or they could be killed, even by their own families. Number two is Afghanistan. If they find out you're a Christian, you have a stark choice. Flee the country or be killed. And at number one, North Korea, the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. Informants are everywhere. Discovery means death, either by execution or by being worked to death in a labor camp. At least 340 million Christians around the world experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. What if you could help them? For 65 years, Open Doors has stood alongside the persecuted church, strengthening Christians who dare to follow Jesus, no matter the cost. Your prayers and gifts enable our underground networks to reach millions of Christians with emergency food and aid, spiritual care, smuggle Bibles and Christian books, training and legal advice. But more than that, your support means that persecuted Christians know that they are not forgotten, not alone. After all, these are not strangers and they are not statistics. They are our brothers and sisters and they need our help. So what's it like being imprisoned for your faith? What do you go through? Well, here in 2 Timothy 1, guys, it's a firsthand account for you and I. From a man in Rome, in a Roman jail because of his faith. Verse 15, all those in Asia have turned away from me. You guys know that even the strongest believer needs encouragement? We all suffer. We all go through it, especially when we're suffering for the Lord. Hear the loneliness and the pain he must feel. I got to go into the cave which Paul wrote, Second Timothy. It was one of the neatest experiences in my whole life. But what they would do is they would have a hole where they'd often lower the prisoner down 
into a cave. They had opened up the side so we could just walk in. They didn't have to lower us down. But it was damp. It was small. It was dark. And it's where they believe the Apostle Paul was imprisoned there in Rome. And it was one of the neatest moves of God's spirit, I, spirit I've ever experienced because there were a bunch of tourists, tons of people coming in and out. And we just opened the Bible and we just read Second Timothy out loud. Everybody that came just stopped the stillness. We read, everybody wept. And then we began to just worship the Lord through song. I don't know where these people are from all over the world. But just the reality, hey, here's our brother encouraging the church. He knew he was about to be beheaded for his faith. And he's writing these words right here to the church as he's facing death for his faith in Jesus Christ. And in this verse here, 16, there's this incredible joy in this. He says, The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anupharis, and often he refreshed me, and I was not ashamed of my chain. Okay? So this one man didn't forget him, Oniferous. Okay, it's no different today. Suffering Christians need to know that we are praying for them, that we care for them, also for their families, okay, uh, of those who are in prison. So it might take some serious searching to find them as did Oniferous, right? Look at verse 17. But when I arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously, and he found me. He found me. Let's pray. Lord, we want to take a moment together as brothers and sisters and ask of you, our Heavenly Father, um, just to be with those brothers and sisters of ours that are being persecuted. God, that you would give them the boldness to continue to stand firm in their faith in you, Jesus. God, that you would protect them. God, that you would grant forgiveness to those who are oppressing them, that their hearts and eyes would be open to the truth that they need a Savior, that they need the faith that these um, whom they're persecuting, Father, um, are willing to die for. God, would you open doors, Father, to go and uh, just make the good news known in these countries, Lord, whether it's through Bibles just being given out, missionaries, your people, just sharing the good news with others. God, may evangelism just abound. God, may your name be lifted up and the good news shared broadly. God, and we do pray. I know there's a lot of stuff going on in courts in different um, countries of the world right now where we have brothers and sisters just through litigation trying to get things to uh, go through. God, that the things would be lifted and that freedoms would be given. We give you, I uh, just pray that you give them wisdom and clarity and opportunity to actually uh, uh, speak and see laws changed, Lord. And we do pray ultimately just for unity among the church as a whole, God, that you would encourage them, build them up, that they would even find fellowship and just encouragement from other believers uh, as they're being persecuted. 
Make them strong. We ask in your name. Amen? Amen. So I wanted to conclude our time this morning doing something very different. I don't think we've ever done this before. But do you guys know that most underground churches have to meet secretly? Okay? Nobody knows that they're meeting. This is going on right now all over the world in many, many parts. Okay? And when they worship, they sing in hushed tones. Okay? Can't be too loud. Can't let people know that they're there worshiping Jesus. And also to avoid detection, they would often dim the lights. Hey, nobody's home here. <laughs> no one's gathering here. So this morning, as a reminder for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted throughout the world, who must meet in secret, I'm going to turn off the lights in here, and we're going to sing holy, holy, holy together in closing, but we're going to do it with a hush. All right? So I'll grab the lights quick. David, if you could grab the lights, too. All right, let's stand and we'll all sing together.